Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Sharissa Fong. Good morning, everyone. Uh, the title of my message this morning is Climbing the Mountain of Absolute Surrender. In case you can't read it in your bulletin because the font is rather small. But uh, I just want you to know that we're going to be focusing on the faithfulness of God and how we can be faithful to Him. I know Daniel has already opened with prayer, but if you don't mind, I'd like to also pray in your hearing as well. Lord, as we study the Bible together now, I just invite your spirit to speak through me. I pray that you would help us to have a spiritual imagination, to see the story which we are about to study and to catch a fresh glimpse of the incredible sacrifice and love of God toward us and for us. And so, Lord, we leave our lives in your hands now in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like climbing mountains? Oh, it's quite a few of you. I'm surprised. Um, mountain climbing is not really my thing. I like looking at mountains. Uh, the Blue Mountains I have scaled, but I've been to places like Canada where they have incredible mountains. They're real mountains that they have over there. And I don't think anything inside of me has any desire to try and scale those mountains. What is the tallest mountain in the world, though? Mount Everest, that's right. Everybody thinks it's Mount Everest. Its peak is a whopping 8,850 8, meters above sea level. The very first two people to ever climb and conquer Mount Everest, do you remember who they were? Sir Edmund Hillary and another guy from uh, Nepal. Very good, I didn't know this. Okay, very good. Now, they reached the summit of Everest at 11.30 a.m. on the 29th of March, 1953, after just seven weeks of climbing. Isn't that amazing? Since then, 4,000 people have reached the summit of Everest. Many have died in the process of trying to reach that summit. But guess what? If we measure mountains from the ocean floor, Everest is not the world's tallest mountain. In fact, the world's tallest mountain is an island mountain found in the Pacific, and its peak is over 10,000 meters high. So this is incredible. This morning, we will climb a Mount Everest of faith together. And in the same way, Everest is not the tallest mountain. When we reach the summit of this mountain, which we will climb together in our Bible study, we will look over and we will discover that this mountain is eclipsed by only one other mountain in all of human history. And so I invite you to take your Bibles. Come with me to our story, Genesis chapter 22. Few stories in the Bible move me like this one. And this is one of uh, the most powerful stories, I think, in all the Bible. Genesis chapter 22, and we begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Question, what things? It says here, Now after it came to pass after these things. So the first question I ask when I come to the text is, What things is the writer talking about? Well, if we cast our minds back, there's been a lot of things that have gone on in Abraham's life. But if we cast our minds back to Genesis chapter 15, we'll start there. In Genesis chapter 15, we are told that Abraham was walked outside of his tent one night and he looked up at the stars. It was a beautiful, starry night. 
And as he was looking at the stars, God spoke to him and God said to him, Abraham, your descendants will be like the stars. Now, think about that the next time you look at the stars at night. This was not a Sydney starry night. Have you ever tried looking at the stars in Sydney? We only have like five or six that we can see here. This was a real starry night. This was the kind of starry night you see when you're in a country place. He looks up and he sees thousands, millions, maybe billions of stars. And the Bible says in Genesis 15 and verse 6, notice what it says, 15 and verse 6, And he, this is Abraham, believed in the Lord, and it, he accounted, that is God accounted it to Abraham, to him for righteousness. So Abraham hears this incredible promise from God, your descendants will be like the stars. And incredibly, Abraham believed in God. My question is, why? What was it about the stars that made Abraham believe in God? Friends, he reasoned as he looks at the stars that God created everything that he could see. And if God could create all of that, then God could fulfill and keep his promise as well. And so when we go back to Genesis chapter 22, in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 21, we discover that God kept his promise through the son of promise. He blessed Abraham and Sarah with the son they had been waiting for, uh, the, the son that he had promised to Abraham when he was first, uh, when he was 75 years old. And so he finally blessed them, and he blessed them through a miracle. And I say finally, because Abraham and Sarah, do you know how long they waited? 25 years for the birth of the promised son, Isaac. Isn't that amazing? 25 years. And not only that, I say he was born by a miracle, because Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born, and Sarah, who gave birth to him, was 90 when she gave birth. So friends, this is incredible. God waited until they were just about to die before he fulfilled his promise to them. And I ask the question, why? Why does God wait until the very end? The reason he waits is so that they could depend on nothing but him. So when Abraham said, I believe, I believe God when God promises this to me. He wasn't saying, this wasn't some warm and fuzzy feeling of emotion or faith. Wow, I believe you. No, Abraham was fighting. There was a struggle. It was a struggle against himself and his reasoning. It was a struggle against science. It was a struggle against what everybody around him was telling him. What? You're going to have a baby? Are you crazy? It could kill you. But Abraham believed in God. And God came through on his promise. And the spirit of prophecy tells us a little bit of extra insight on this chapter. Abraham at this point in Genesis chapter 22 is 120 years old. This means that he has been a doting dad to his son Isaac for how long? Between 19 and 20 years. Has to be. Okay. And so it is against this backdrop that we come to this chapter and God says the Bible says that God tested Abraham. God calls to Abraham, Abraham, and instantly Abraham responds. It's not like some of these friends that I have who, when I ring them on their mobile phone, they look at the caller ID. As soon as they see it's me, they press hang up. 
<laughs> every time, every time God called Abraham, he instantly answered the call. All his life, he had been this way. He had had failures. He had stuff ups. But God had been patient with him. And now God comes to him with a test that was above any test that you or I could ever imagine. Verse 2, verse 2, Genesis chapter 22. Then he said, this is God, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Imagine how horrifying this news must have been for Abraham. Instantly, imagine the turmoil that would have erupted in his mind as he hears God speak these words. In utter shock and confusion, he wondered why. Why would God ask him to do this? Something was wrong. Something had to be wrong with this. Keep in mind that Abraham was living in a time in earth's history where the Canaanites, who were in the cultures surrounding him, they practiced uh, human sacrificing. They even would sacrifice their own children in their worship of the fire god Moloch. And they believed that Moloch actually liked that this human sacrificing that they did. Was Abraham's God like the pagan gods? It was as if God was asking Abraham if he loved him as much as the pagans loved their gods. No test could have been harder than this one. And let me explain to you why. Every word of God's command, if you think about it, was a trial in itself. Let's step through that verse very carefully now. Verse 2, it says, God says, take now your son. I just shared with you that Isaac was the son of promise. He was their miracle boy. He was their miracle baby. He was the one that Sarah and he had hoped for and prayed for and longed for there for years. And now he was there in their home, but God was commanding him to take his son and offer him as a burnt offering with his own hands. Nothing, nothing was more precious to Abraham than his son. But God doesn't just leave it at that. God knows how difficult this is. He goes on and he says, take now your son, your only son. Numerically speaking, Isaac, was Isaac Abraham's only son? No. You remember how he tried to help God fulfill his promise with Hagar and he fathered Ishmael? And God says, no, 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 this is not salvation by works. I will work a miracle in your life and I will bring about my promise. Abraham had two fully grown sons at this time, and later he had six by Keturah as well. So here the Hebrew term for only is not one of number, but one of value. Isaac was the only son to Abraham in the sense that he was the only son through whom God, the only son who could qualify to be the successor of all of God's covenant promises to Abraham. But not only that, God adds another phrase. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Do you like to hear an amazing fact? This is the first time in the Bible that you find the word love. Abraham dearly loved Isaac. 
He was the joy to his parents in their old age. And as I come to this story, I think about it and I think, think of all the excuses that Abraham could have brought to the table right here. Think of all the thoughts he must have wrestled with in his mind as God is speaking to him. Surely God would not, surely a good and loving God would not call me to sacrifice my own son. I mean, was this really God's voice? I'm getting old. Maybe I'm hearing things. Maybe it's the devil trying to get at me. It can't be God. He says, thou shalt not kill. God said Isaac would be a great nation. He hasn't even had children. How can a dead man be a father? Sarah will never believe me. This has to be the devil. I need a sign. There were so many things going on in his mind. It seemed and felt as if God was commanding him to kill the very promise that he had made to him. Some years ago, a columnist, columnist for the LA Times, a man by the name of Jack Smith, has a very unique name, isn't it, Jack Smith? He said, in writing on this story, he said, if God had said this to me, he would have told God to mind his own business. How does Abraham respond? Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. That night, Abraham did not sleep. That night he prayed like he had never prayed before in his life, praying for God to send a sign of confirmation that he had actually heard him correctly, but no sign came. He got up, couldn't sleep, got up, and he went to where Isaac was sleeping, and he looks at his son, enjoying the the innocent, good sleep that young people enjoy, and he looks at the tender face of his son there and turns tremblingly away. He cannot look. As he goes away, he walks past Sarah and she is sound asleep and his heart is pained as he thinks of what he will have to tell her. She would, he longed to tell her what God had called him to do, but he could not because he knew it would pain her heart too much. He felt like he was living in a nightmare. But at the end of the day, at the end of this night, I should say, he knew he had heard the voice of God and not knowing why, He knew he must obey. He wasn't like this man who fell off a cliff. And as he was tumbling down the side of the cliff face, he manages to reach up and he grabs a hold of a branch and he's suspended there hanging from this branch. He looks down and there's a long way down. He looks up, it's a long way up. He's stuck. So he calls out and he says, Help, help, is there anyone up there? And he hears a voice come down, Yes, I am here, I am the Lord. Do you believe me? And he says, yes, Lord, I believe you. I really believe you, but I can't hold on much longer. And the voice comes back and says, good, let go of the branch. And there's a pause and the man says, is there anyone else up there? (laughs) Abraham doesn't say a word in our passage. Incredible. He had reached a point where if God called him to do something, he would obey without question. Incredible. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that? Remember how Abraham had reasoned with God? He had said to God, well, you know, Lord, suppose there are 50, 50 righteous within the city. If not 50, 45. 
not 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. He had tried to reason with God when God had given him, when God had said what he said. But here, in this passage, not a word. Not a word is spoken. What faith do we see here? This is incredible. I want to define faith for you, but somebody defined it better than I could. Hebrews 11 verse 1 puts it very nicely. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Ellen White in, what was the year, 1889, she asked this very question, what is faith? She then answered this question and listened to the words she said. She said, it is simply taking God at his word. It is believing that God will do just as he has promised. Do you like that? Faith is taking God at his word and believing that he will do just as he has promised. It is trusting God, believing that he loves us and knows best what is for our good. In the example of Abraham, as I am reading this and I am seeing that he has so much faith, I also discover that nothing we possess is too precious to give to God. Abraham surrendered to God that which was most precious to him. And God should be the most, more valuable to me than even my most precious gifts in this life that he has given to me. Can I read to you this quote? Because I want you to apply this story to your life as you're listening and as you're studying along in your, in your Bible. Signs of the Times, April 1, 1875. There are many who profess the truth, who do not love God half so well as they love the world. God is testing and proving them. Their love of the world and of riches darkens their minds, perverts their judgment, and hardens their hearts. God has, to some of them at least, revealed his will, and listen, and called for a surrender of their Isaac to him. But they refuse to obey and let golden opportunities pass. There, there are people that God is calling to surrender their Isaac. What does she mean by this? The most precious thing that they have. Not necessarily a bad thing either, but God is calling them to give their hearts wholly, fully, unreservedly to Him. And they're holding back parts of their heart because they don't want to give God everything. I want you, as you study the Bible, to think and ask, Lord, what is my Isaac? Is there anything that I have that I am not giving to you as Abraham gave Isaac to you. Because you know what? If I was in Abraham's shoes and God had come to me and said, Sharissa, well, I don't even have a child, but if I was in Abraham's shoes, I think I would have wanted a week to pray and fast over it at least. I'd want to talk to the pastor, get some of his pastoral counsel, but not Abraham. Abraham doesn't consult any friends. In fact, he doesn't even tell Sarah. The Bible tells us that early in the morning he gets up and then it goes on and it meticulously, meticulously tells us everything he does. He saddles his donkey and he splits the wood for the burnt offering. Has anybody here tried to split wood? Oh, good. Those of you who have will know that this is hard work. We used to have a fireplace and Dad would tell us to go outside and split wood like it was something we should know how to do. Anyway, it's very hard. But the point is, Abraham at this point is 120 years old. And he's out there splitting wood. He has servants coming out of his ears. What, what is wrong with him? What is this? If you ask me, I think he's nervous. 
He is a bundle of nervous energy. He, everything inside of him is screaming at him that this is wrong. Don't do it. But his love for God is stronger than anything that comes his way. And he is holding on and he is trusting that God will keep his promises somehow. He doesn't understand why, but he is trusting God. And as I come to this chapter, Genesis chapter 22, you and I so far, we're amazed at the faith of Abraham. But think of what this says about God. Friends, Abraham had found God to be someone he could trust. God was trustworthy. We can trust God too. Amen? Verse 4 and 5. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. First thing I want you to notice in these verses is this. For three days, they traveled. Now, I hate injections. I hate getting a needle and having, even having a blood test. I hate it. And if they're going to do it, if they're going to take some blood from me, I want them to do it as quickly as possible, and I don't even want to know when they're about to do it. I don't want to think about it. Abraham has three days, long days, to think about what is ahead. Three days to grieve. Three days to agonize in prayer with God and wrestle with God over this. And just recently, in fact, this past week, I was walking with somebody around Warunga. And if you know Warunga, there are some nice hills around the place. To me, they're like mountains. And as we were walking, this person said, let's turn down one of these streets. And I looked, and it went right down. So I thought, all right. I said, we, I said to them, you realize once we get down, we have to come back up. They said, that's all right. Okay, so we went down this hill. When I got down, we turned around and came back. On the way back, it started to get very hard. I was puffing. My legs were burning, but I didn't want to give away that I was struggling because my friend here seemed to be fine with it. They didn't show any signs of exhaustion, so I was trying to keep up. And then I said to them, trying to hold face, I said, oh, my legs are burning. They said, yes, that's your body releasing some acid in your muscles telling you to stop. And I thought, oh, good. And I was just about to say, let's stop. And then they added, but don't stop. <laughs> Abraham is, is he's not climbing the mountain yet, but as he is journeying on, everything inside of him wanted to turn back. Everything inside of him did not want to go through with this. His feet were like lead. They felt like lead. And yet this time, this three days that he journeys proves to us that Abraham's faith was not one that was impulsive. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. No, faith, this faith that Abraham possessed was unhesitating. It was firm. It was determined obedience to God because he loved him more than anything else. His works demonstrated his faith. Friends, faith alone saves. But the faith that saves us is never alone. Amen. I'll amen myself. Okay. So, you imagine, those three days must have been the three longest days of his life. They traveled, if you do look at a map, from Beersheba to Moriah, it is a distance of at least 80 kilometers. This man travels, he's 120 years old, and he has this burden weighing on his shoulders. But here's the bit, oh no, this is not the bit that I really want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, 
This is the first time in the Bible that the word worship is used. Isn't that amazing? I can see you're all very amazed. <laughs> so the word in the Hebrew means to bow down, worship. You know what? Uh, if I was to pass a survey around, a different survey to the one that we have today, and I asked you why you were here, I, I think pretty much all of us would write on that page, we are here to worship God, right? What is worship? Sometimes I think we have lost the picture of what true worship is all about. We think worship is about a song service and then a hymn here and then a sermon there and then we kneel to pray. You know, this service, this routine that we go through week after week. These are all parts and aspects of worship, but true worship is is the act of bowing down. It's the act of surrendering to God our hearts and our lives in willing obedience and giving Him the exalted place that He deserves. That is true worship. We come to church and we go away and we think, well, I don't know what you're thinking, but sometimes when I'm sitting there, I sit there and I think to myself, you know, everything that happens up here is like an entertainment sometimes or, you know, it's all for, you know, did I like the sermon? Did I like that? You know, that's how I come to church sometimes. But the real question is not, did I like it? Did God like it? True worship is not focused on the created, the created. It is, worship. It's, it is focused on the creator. It's not about the lights and the music. It's not about how funny the speaker is. It is all about God. Amen. Now, here's the part that I really wanted to get to. Abraham says to the servants, he says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. He doesn't say, I will come back to you. He says, we will come back to you. Is Abraham telling a white lie? Is he trying to stop Isaac from knowing where they're going and what this is all about? The mathematics of Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5 here is 2 minus 1 still equals 2. And I have to ask the question, why? This is my most favorite part of the whole sermon, so you have to come here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews gives us the key, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're looking together at verse 17. We'll begin in verse 17. Hebrews 11, verse 17. All right, here we go. By faith Abraham, when he was tested offered up Isaac, and, when, and, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Just a little pause there. The word for only begotten here in the Greek is monogenes. And this word is the word that John uses and applies to Jesus when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What he means by this, the word in the Greek, it literally means unique. Unique only, one of a kind. God... God's unique, co-eternal son was offered for us in a way that no one else has ever been offered, okay? In verse 18, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, and here's the best part, verse 19, concluding. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. All right, I'll explain it in a minute. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, 
from which he also received him in a figurative sense. All right, let me explain why this is so good. This is monumental faith. Why? The Greek word for that word there that I got really excited about, concluding, is the word, okay, logizomai, but that's not what is so exciting. But it is a word that suggests that Abraham was extremely logical and almost mathematical, it has a mathematical connotation, in his reasoning. Okay. So this is why this is so exciting, because his logic is incredible. This is how Abraham thinks as he is traveling, as he is journeying. When he says to his servants, he has come to this thrilling conclusion, and that is this. He considers, first of all, God's character. God is love. God is just. God is mighty, and he is good. He's never deceived me. He is faithful to keep his covenant promises. God had said that Abraham would have children as numerous as the stars. God had said that through Isaac, the covenant blessings would flow and would come. Abraham knew that Isaac had no children and he was not yet married. He also knew that it was impossible for God to break his promise. Yet, God had clearly told him to sacrifice his son. Therefore, with all of that thought process, all of that logic going on in his mind, he comes to this breathtaking, thrilling conclusion, and that is this. If God could create something out of nothing, and if God could bring forth life from the deadness of myself and the deadness of Sarah's womb, if God could create the stars, then God could and would raise Isaac from the dead, from the ashes of this sacrifice. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Abraham didn't have 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He did not have that. In fact... Up until this moment in earth's history, there has never even been a resurrection. And yet, he believed what God had said, that God would bring Isaac back to life. There was no other way for God to keep his promise and not be a liar. And that's why he, he turns to his servants when he goes to give Isaac. He wants no one to watch this parting scene, but he says to his servants... Stay here with the donkey. I and the lad, I and the boy will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I love this part of our story because there's a lesson for me in this part. There's a lesson for you in this part of our story. And that is this. When God makes a promise, it is not for us to know how he will keep it. It is for us to trust and leave the how up to God. Amen? And that, I can't stress to you how important this is for us to come to this realization because, you know, when this great controversy wraps up, there will be tests that will come to God's people. It will not be easy. The final test at the end of time will be over worship. 
and you look in Revelation and you see that all the world will eventually be worshipping the beast and God is calling for us in these three angels' messages. Fear God, give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him. Worship God. Worship God when it seems like there is no way forward. When they take your job, when, when your family is in a crisis, when you suffer illness, when you experience a death in your family. Do not wonder how, but just trust in God. That God will be faithful and He will do as He has promised. Amen? How wonderful will the resurrection be when Jesus comes back as well. When I just think about that. All right. Don't trust in the promise. Trust in the promiser to keep his promise is my point. All right, we go back to Genesis. We have to finish our story. Genesis 22. Genesis 22, verses 6 and 7. We're up to. And Abraham. All right, so. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Notice how Isaac, being the younger and the stronger of the two, he carries the wood. But Abraham carries the knife and the torch. The two things that could hurt his son, he carries. He's still being a very protective father right here. That knife which he carried was already piercing his own heart. In the words of Spurgeon, unbelief would have left the knife at home. But genuine faith took that knife. Many half-hearted Christians today would come to the base of Mount Moriah and yes, we're willing to give God our sacrifice, but oh, sorry Lord, we haven't got the matches. You're going to have to provide your own fire here because uh, no fire, no sacrifice. Oh, sorry Lord, left the knife at home. But Abraham leaves no room for excuses. It was full and complete obedience. He wasn't trying to compromise here. It was full obedience. No planned excuse. But in verse 8, sorry, verse 7, But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Can you imagine how Abraham must have felt when his son asks this question? Oh, it was like a knife in his own heart. What should he say? Should he tell Isaac the truth now? Notice what he does say in verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Abraham throws the ball in God's court because God is the one who had called for them to worship. And he tells his son, God will provide. It's up to him. And uh, that is a good answer that he gave right there. Then the Bible says the two of them went together. And that literally means they went on in agreement together. What a picture of a family respecting and loving and submitting to one another and to God that we find here. Abraham had raised his son to love and to know God and serve him as well. And so verse 9 happens. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. And again, the narrator slows down every detail of what Abraham does is recorded. Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham had been building altars all his life. You can read about it there in Genesis. But no altar had been as hard to build as this one. 
after the three-day journey, and now a journey up a mountain, Abraham was physically exhausted. He's 120 years old, carrying this emotional burden on his soul as well. He was spent. There is not a line in scripture about Abraham's feelings. Did you notice? Looks like he almost does this mechanically when you read it. But I tell you what, he felt an awful lot. The only reason why those feelings are not recorded here is because Abraham was walking by faith and not by feeling. It wasn't by how he felt, the emotions he was experiencing. This was an, a walk of faith. He was trusting God even when he didn't feel like it. And up until this point in our story, Isaac has been completely oblivious to the real purpose of this trip. He knows they're going to worship God. He has no idea how this will happen. But once that altar is built, Abraham now turns to his son and has to explain to him the awful truth that God has called for a sacrifice and God wants me to give you to him. You imagine <laughs> that moment, that exchange. But as he tells his son these things, I was reading on the internet this week and I read about Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins hates this story because he thinks, he says, oh, imagine the psychological trauma that Isaac has been through and it will damage him for the rest of his life. There cannot be a God who would do this. This is what Dawkins was saying. But you know what? If Isaac could, if Isaac had have wanted to get away from Abraham and to run away from this sacrifice, he could have. He is 19, 20 years old. David, could you raise your hand? All right, he's about David's age, okay? Thank you, David. You can put your hand down. But you imagine, Abraham's 120. His son is like David. David could easily outrun a 120-year-old man. But he doesn't. That's the incredible thing. Why? Because Abraham, as he tells Isaac this news, and, and, and Ellen White says, she, he received the news with terror, that's the word, that it was me, me, I am the lamb that God is calling for. But as he listens to his father explain, and Abraham encourages him, and he shares with him the faith that he has, that God can raise him from the dead, and God will have to raise you from the dead, that God is good, and we can trust God. As Isaac listens to his father with this, he, he too comes to the conclusion that he will trust in God no matter what. So while we focus on the faith of Abraham, we need to also look at that amazing faith of Isaac there as well. And so to help us picture this moment, I read to you Signs of the Times, April 1, 1875. He encouraged, this is Isaac, the almost nerveless hands of his father to bind the cords which confined him to the altar. The last words of endearing love was spoken by father and son. The last affectionate parental and filial tears were shed. The last embrace was given and the father had pressed his beloved son to his aged breast for the last time. Powerful, powerful moment. Then comes verse 10. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You know what? In the book of Hebrews, where we read in Hebrews chapter 11, when it says there in chapter 11, what do we say here? I'll read it to you. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
who he had received the promises. That word there, offered, it is there in the, in the Greek, in the book of Hebrews, in the perfect tense. In other words, it is looked on in the book of Hebrews as a completed action which means as far as God is concerned and as far as Abraham was concerned, if God doesn't do something, he would have gone through with what God had called him to do. As far as God was concerned, Abraham did it. Isn't that amazing? Then comes verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Notice God says his name twice this time. The beginning of our story, just once. But he says it twice because it's an urgent call to stop him because he knows Abraham will do this if he doesn't stop him. Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. Here I am. Now, who is this angel of the Lord that we meet here? You already know, it's Jesus. How do we know this? When we read the Old Testament and we look at this angel every time this angel appears, we discover that the angel speaks as God. The angel identifies himself with God and exercises the authority of God. The one who stops him from completing this, this act is the very one who would one day be offered in his stead. Isn't that amazing? And then God stops him. Now, we read here what God says in verses 12 and 13. He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. When I went to get my driving, my driver's license, I had to go several times because I failed the test several times. First time, I was trying to befriend the, uh, the person that was, that was judging me. Um, as I was talking to him, I was asking him about his weekend. And, and then he said to me, do you realize you just drove through a stop sign? I said, oh, sorry, it was instant fail, of course. Anyway, I was devastated the first time I failed. All my life, I've always tried to at least pass something. This was the first thing, like the first test I had failed. Well, maybe there were others, but this is the only one I remember. And I remember I came home, and I was in my bedroom that night, the night I failed, shut the door, opened the window, and I could hear the sound of the cars going up the freeway. And I cried, and I thought to myself, you have no idea how blessed you are to have a license. <laughs> And I went several times and made several other similar mistakes. But finally, I passed. And when I passed the test and I got my license, which I thought I would never get, I tell you what, it was a good feeling. It was such a relief to pass. For Abraham, he has, his test is over. And guess what? He passed. He passed. How did he do it? By faith. He passed the test by faith. God says, now I know that you fear God. Fear means to respect God, to reverence God. Abraham had surrendered. He had climbed that mountain and surrendered to God everything that he had, the dearest possession that he had. This test was not so much to 
produce faith in Abraham. This was a test to reveal faith in Abraham. And you know what? The whole universe had been watching this whole thing play out there on the mountain. Abraham wasn't play-acting. This wasn't a drama he was doing. This was real. And heaven, all the angels of heaven, they were amazed at what they had seen. But you know what? This all pointed to something much greater. Abraham, he names the place, the mountain. He could have named it the Mount of My Obedience or the Mount of... uh, What else did I have here? The Mount of My Obedience or the Mount of My Agony. But he chooses to name this mountain in reference to what God had done. And he calls it the Mount of God's provision. The Lord will provide. And those words were so prophetic. For years later, centuries later, God did provide the ultimate sacrifice on that same mountain ridge. Moriah is right near Calvary where God would offer his son. And when God offered his son, there was no word from heaven that said, Stop! I'm telling you, all the angels of heaven waited for God to say something to stop, but there was no word. God went through with the sacrifice, and Jesus was offered for us. I think of Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? When we come to this passage, we could literally say, Now, Lord, I know that you love me, seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. God provided a lamb. God provided Jesus. There are so many similarities between Jesus and Isaac and this whole, this whole drama that did play out there on the mountain. But at the end of the day, in James 2, verse 23, Scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. No one else has ever been called to, give, to go through a test like Abraham did, that kind of a test. Well, this exact test, I should say. But um, if there was anyone who could relate to God and his, what he went through, Abraham. Abraham surely could. And so we want to conclude this service, and I ask you, what is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? A, fr- a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. As we look at the story of Abraham, we discover that his faith was capable of sacrifice. Isaac was all he had, but if God called for it, he would give it to him totally, fully, and completely because he loved God more than life itself. Luther said, a Christianity that costs, that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Faith will cost us something. Faith is not easy. But God calls for us to surrender our all to him. Is there an Isaac in your life that you have been holding back from the Lord and you haven't given to him as, as Abraham did? I'm just going to name a couple of things here to help you apply this because as I think about this, what could my Isaac be? I realize that sometimes it's the good things. It could be your family. It could be your athletic ability, your reputation, your money, your home, your position. We think sometimes our Isaac is the degrees that we have earned, the deals that we have done, the the classes we taught, the CDs we cut, the deals we made, the budgets we balanced, the books we wrote, the famous people that we might have befriended, you know, the friends we have made. Some of these things are very dear to us and we hold on to them. 
But God says, give up everything. Give it all to me because I want to give something better to you. And uh, we may not know how sometimes, but when we surrender all to God, we discover that he gave all for us. I want to invite Malita and Sonia to bless us with this beautiful song. And then I'm going to come back and conclude our message.
When Abraham reached that summit, friends, we discover what the summit of faith is all about. We come to the summit of faith when we give to God that which is most precious to us. We give him everything and we trust in him to keep his promises. Is that easy to do? No. It was not easy. It was a fight for Abraham. It was a struggle. Too many people are afraid to put in effort these days because they say it's works. No, no, no. Abraham had a faith and he fought against himself and he fought against hope. But he was going to keep his faith, going to keep his trust in God. I want to finish with a story and then a short appeal. One night there was a house that caught on fire in a local suburb. And as the flames were billowing out, the smoke was coming out, there was a little boy in the upstairs room of this house. And he smelled the fire. He woke up and he panicked. He looks out the door. There are flames down the staircase. And so he comes to the window. And as he opens the window, he looks over the ledge. And he yells out for help. And he hears a familiar voice. It's the voice of his dad down there. He couldn't see him. But the voice says, I'm here, son. Jump. And the little boy says, but daddy, I can't see you. And the voice comes back and it says, that's okay, son. I can see you. Jump. And he jumps because he trusts in his dad. You and I may not know how God will do what he has promised, but it is not for us to know the how. It is for us to trust. And so, friends, if there is something in your life that you've been holding back from God, today is the day for us to surrender all to him. Amen? Let us hold nothing back. Do you want the faith of Abraham? I want to have the faith of Abraham. And when we have the same faith of Abraham, guess what? We become part of his family. The book of Galatians tells us that. We have become his spiritual descendants. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so if you would like to say, I want to have the faith of Abraham, would you stand with me as I close? And... uh, Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you for this incredible story. As we have scaled this Everest of faith in scripture, we've come to the pinnacle of this mountain and we've looked over and we see that there was a much greater mountain, a much higher mountain, and it was Calvary, where you offered your only son for us. Lord, we can never repay you for what you have done. We can only give ourselves fully and completely to you in worship and say, Lord, that we are here and we want to do your will no matter what. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place and as we endeavor to walk the walk of faith, that you will strengthen us to hold on to your promises, to trust in your word, even when we do not feel like it. And so that one day soon, that resurrection and that second coming of Jesus will come and we will look up And we will see you and we will see you face to face. We won't have to pray like this with our eyes closed. But we will know you as our true and forever friend, just as Abraham had a friendship with you too. And so, Lord, uh, bless us now. We give ourselves fully to you. We lay our Isaacs down. In Jesus' name, amen. any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 
4973-3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612-4973-3456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. God doesn't want you to go through this day alone. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. As you think through the things you need to do today, picture God's hand with you and guiding you. And as he lays his hand upon your head, as David says, what is it that he's speaking to you today? Write out whatever comes to mind and and carry it with you throughout the day as a tangible reminder to encourage you. And at the end of the day, come back to this piece of paper and see how God was leading you and have a conversation with God in prayer about how the day started and what happened throughout. This will help you develop a deeper prayer life. So listen to God's words for you this morning and remember, live your faith and have a blessed day. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.